Thank you very much. That was a beautiful song, isn't it? You know, one of the most confrontational and astounding verses in the Bible is phrased in the question by Jesus. And that question is, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Or what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? There's a very confronting question in the Bible. Of course, they are simply stated, it implies that the human soul, according to the Bible, is the part of the person that is not physical. It is the part of every human being that lasts eternally after the body experiences death. As we grow old, our body will start to fall apart. I know of a church, they have a group called the Spare Parts Group. For older folks where the parts are broken, breaking down and they meet together, and half of the time they tell you about their doctor's appointment. We're all getting there. They're just ahead of us, that's all. Uh, but we all know that the body wanes and falls apart, but the soul lives on. According to the scripture, Daniel said, a writer says this, he said, if you have lost your wings, you have legs. Keep walking. If you have lost your legs, you have arms. So keep crawling. If you have lost your arms, you have mouth. So keep shouting. Lose whatever, but never ever lose your soul. Because it is eternal. And we have been studying the different apostles in the scripture, the 12 of them. We have now come to Matthew. He's a trans we call him the transformer because he literally was walking down a pathway that he believes that he will lose his soul. And at some point, he turned around. He discovered Christ. And therefore, from tax collector, he became the gospel writer. And today, we are going to look at his life. I want to guide you through by giving you four headings. We'll look at his background and then his career, his calling, and lastly, I'll give you two points in Matthew Gospel that reflected his joy, his joy. So let me begin by giving you a little bit background about Matthew. His father's name, according to Mark chapter 2 verse 14, is Alphas. So he's the son of Alphas. He has another name which uh, Jason has read to us from Luke Gospel, which is Levi, Matthew, and Levi. Matthew means a gift of God. Levi is a very proud name because he's from the, one of the names of the tribes of Israel. Remember, uh, Jacob has 12 sons, and when they entered the Promised Land after Moses led them out of Egypt, they 
possessed the land and then they divided the land into 12 tribes. But there are two sons that have no tribes, and that is Joseph and Levi. So that only left with 10 tribes, but it was replaced by Joseph's son, which is Ephraim and Manasseh. They occupied the 12 tribes because Joseph, although he was younger, he was like the firstborn. He got a double portion. And he, he got uh, Jacob directly blessed jo- Joseph two sons as if it is his own sons. So they possess one tribe each. Joseph, no tribe. So Levi is uh, set aside for priestly duties. Remember Moses when he was up in the mountain of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. He left the people down there with his brother Aaron. But Aaron probably was, I don't know what happened to him. Either he's not a very good leader or he let the people crawl over all around him and ended up the people created the golden calf. And when Moses came down, he was furious. He was furious. And he said, whoever is on my side, come to me. So the tribe of Levi came to his side. They were the ones that did not, participated, did not participate in the golden calf incident. Because Moses and Aaron, they are from the tribe of Levi, by the way. So his own tribe, people stand around him. And uh, therefore, this tribe has been set aside for religious duty. Religious purpose. So to be born a Levite was considered a privilege. For the family was set apart by God for the handling of holy things. And for children of the Levites were well grounded in scripture. So Matthew is from the tribe. He was familiar with the Old Testament. And therefore, when you read the Gospel Matthew... He writes that gospel specifically to the Jewish people, unlike Mark or Luke to the Gentiles. But Matthew specifically wrote the gospel to the Jew. And therefore, there are some languages that he, he used, especially targeting the Jews, like, for example, kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God and, and other things. So the Levites were the experts in Mosaic law and rabbinic tradition. But young Matthew seems to have a very dim view of this arrangement. They don't have a tribe. They have about 48 cities across the 12 tribes. And six of them, they are known as the refuge cities. You can read all this in numbers and all that. Scattered throughout the territories of the other tribes. So young Matthew live on charity because they don't have land and they survive on the charity of other tribes. Maybe he didn't like the idea. Maybe the mother asked him, you know, Matthew, what are you going to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be rich. Why I say that is because he chose to be a tax collector. And tax collector, you can become rich very quickly. Uh, doesn't matter when it tarnishes your reputation, but he just wants to be rich. He doesn't like the idea of, you know, just like some family, Christian family, you have children, they hate to go to church. 
maybe they will under certain age. They struggle. They hate the song. They just dislike sitting there listening to these old guys standing in front of them, preaching and and all that kind of things. And and they don't like and they depart from from the church or, or the environment in that sense. And so Matthew, in some sense, was uh, like that. He he intended to to be to get rich as fast as he could. And probably when he was in bed at night. Or uh, in his wanderings here and there in his mind, he think about what is the best way to become uh, rich fast. So Matthew knew the Old Testament very well. Why I said that? Because if you read through Matthew Gospel, there are 99 quotes from the Old Testament. 99. More than Luke, Mark and John put together. And all the quotes are from the law, the prophets and and the Psalms. So he grew up knowing the scripture. So he had a good working knowledge of all the scriptures that were available to him. And no wonder when God calls him is to the Jewish people because he was well grounded in that. So that is a little bit background about him. Let me move on to his career. Uh, no prize for those who guessed correctly that he was a tax collector. Look at Matthew 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And in Luke's Gospel, they read to us, called Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. To be a tax collector is to be a traitor because Israel was under the Rome, under the Roman Empire. After Assyrian's empire, was Babylon Empire. After the Babylon Empire was the Persian Empire. After the Persian Empire was the Greek Empire. That is when between the Old Testament and New Testament period, Greek Empire, and then Alexander the Great died, and then the kingdom split into four and all that. And then at this time, is under the Roman Empire. So Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And Rome, they taxed the people. They get agent. So Matthew decided to be a tax collector. So a tax collector was a traitor. Your own people, you are, you are exploiting your own people, collecting money from the Jewish people from, for the oppressor. He was an extortioner, was a robber, a thief. He was greedy. He was a social pariah, outcast, and he knew it. He knew it. He deliberately chose this path because it's a quick pathway to getting rich. And not only that, as I say that they extort more than the rest, is because of this verse. When uh, John the Baptist and Jesus were preaching, tax collectors came to know the Lord. They surrendered their life to Jesus. And then they came to be baptized. And then they asked, Teacher, what should we do? Now that we are believers as a tax collector, what should we do? Jesus said, well, you can remain as a tax collector, but just don't collect any more than you are required to. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Just do your job. That's it. So they must be doing more than that. And so the Jewish people, they hated the tax collectors. They are the worst. Not only Matthew was seen as a traitor to the nation, 
but he would also have been a religious outcast, forbidden to enter any synagogue, and forbidden to sacrifice and worship in the temple. He was, in essence, as a Jew, worse off than a Gentile. They were not permitted to testify in a court of law because everyone knew they were liars. They took bribes. No tax collectors or could ever enter a synagogue or a temple to worship God. And therefore, in Luke chapter 18, the famous parable that told by Jesus about the Pharisee and the tax collectors, the tax collectors have to be so far away and don't even dare to look up, just beat his chest and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just to show you a few verses, how tax collectors are the status as a profession is, is so disgusted by, by people that they level them the same level as prostitutes, the same level as uh, sinners, the same level as pagans. Look at this. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, this associate tax collectors on the par of sinners. Why your teacher bothered to eat with tax collectors? And also, Look at another verse that leveled them on with tax collectors as pagan. That is in the context of church discipline. If you approach someone they don't accept, then you will treat this person as a pagan or a tax collector. And then you see in Matthew 21 again, Jesus said the tax collectors and the prostitute on the same level. So you can deem how bad their reputation is as a tax collector, as a Jew especially. But interestingly, three tax collectors were mentioned in the gospel and three of them came to know Jesus. One of them is Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, a short little man, climbed up the sycamore tree, look at Jesus, and Jesus just looked at him and said, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Maybe I can say to you, I'm coming to your house for lunch, you know. Jesus said that to uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, is a higher rank. He's known as a Mokis. He's a higher rank, uh, chief tax collectors. And, and Matthew and the rest are known as uh, Gabas, the, the lower one under, under this thing. So Zacchaeus came to know Jesus. Matthew came to know Jesus. And the tax collectors in Luke chapter 18, who stood with the tax collectors, uh, to stood with the Pharisee, also came to know the Lord. So three incidents mentioned tax collectors in the gospel, and three of them uh, found forgiveness in Christ. So that is uh, his reputation. So his uh, background, his career, and now I want to show you about his calling. His calling. Jesus simply said to him, let me just forward this, I think a bit, I, I must have... Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. He got up and followed Jesus. Can you imagine if you are in Matthew's shoe? You are a social pariah. You are outcast. Everybody hates you. The Jewish people hate you. They spit on you. They curse on you. They talk bad about you. They probably pelt stone at you. They hated you. And Jesus, a rabbi, which is coming to be more and more popular, invited him to follow 
Jesus. Jesus said, come, follow me. He must have suddenly said, hey, what's going on? Everybody hated me. All the Jewish people hated me. And yet there's this rabbi say, follow me, welcoming me, embracing me. You can follow me. And so he has been, Jesus has been uh, coming around and no more and more, becoming more and more popular. And Matthew must have heard of him. And now when Jesus crossed Matthew's path, he said, follow me. And do you ever think that Jesus, uh, Matthew would hesitate? The scriptures say he got up and he followed him. And in, I think in Luke's gospel, he said, gave up everything and followed him. You know, somebody put together, when you survey the whole Bible, the kind of people that God chose to use is just astounding. Noah, he got drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and he stuttered. He, can't, he couldn't even talk properly. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Naomi was a widow. David committed adultery and was a murderer. Job went bankrupt. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran away from God. John the Baptist dressed poorly and he ate bugs for breakfast. John the Beloved had a bad temple and he was selfish. Martha worried about everything. So there's hope for a warrior. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too short, too small. Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. Paul was self-righteous and religious. Timothy had an ulcer, stomach ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. So you survey through the scripture, you then come to the conclusion that God specializes in using this kind of people. What kind of people does God use? Stained glass saints? We have only one stained glass here. No saints. Is it stained glass saints? No. Vile, wretched, rotten sinners. The most despicable people in society who are willing to be forgiven. As I often say, church is not a museum for saints, but it is the hospital for sinners. If you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito and see what happens. See whether it makes a difference. Mother Teresa said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending out love letters to the world. I am a pencil in the hand of a writing God sending out love letters to the world. 
And such is uh, Matthew's calling. It must be a shock to him that he has to respond immediately that a rabbi, a God, came in the form of man, invited me to follow him. Why not? He would give up everything to follow him. And that is why the fourth one is his joy. His joy. His joy spells out in uh, two points. Two points. He will give up. He will abandon everything to follow Jesus. And that is why the treasure, the, the parable of the hidden treasurer, treasure is found only in Matthew Gospel. Matthew Gospel treats most about these wealth things, about money things. You know? He addresses it the most in a sense. Uh, look at what he say about the hidden treasure. He said, the kingdom of heaven. Just, just imagine Matthew. Matthew is pursuing down the path, getting rich, and he has attained there. And he, he wrote this after when he followed Christ. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, he had and bought it. Can you imagine that was Matthew? He will abandon all. His joy is to follow Jesus. His joy was to abandon all to follow Christ because to him he discovered the greatest treasure. Nothing compares. He used to think this pathway would bring his greatest joy. He went on it, been there, done that, came out empty, and now he found Christ. He found Christ, and therefore he found this treasure that he described in the parable, and he's willing to give up all to attain this treasure that he has found. And Paul in a similar vein, wrote this as well. He said, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Because Paul was also down a pathway of religion. He rise through the rank of becoming not just a Pharisee, but he's a persecutor of Christian. The new kid on the block, you know. Who is this movement that is upsetting the status quo of Judaism? And he went all out to suppress this move, movement and personally uh, supervise the stoning of Stephen. That's recorded in uh, Acts. Stephen uh, saw the stoning of Stephen. And therefore, at some point, and then after that, after the stoning of, of Stephen, he met Christ on the road of Damascus, as we all know. And later on in Philippians, he reflected his journey. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from observing the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and it is only attained 
through faith alone that we have covered in the book of Galatians. Matthew encountered that. Paul similarly also pursued down a pathway, but make a U-V, U-turn, and change path because he discovered the greatest treasure of all. And that is why Matthew, you know, sometimes when you know a person's background, then you will see why this person writes like this. Isn't it? We write out of our experience in life. Is it not true? We give advice sometimes out of our experiences in life, isn't it? And so Matthew, in some sense also, God using his personality, his, his uh, gifting and his, his experiences, his past, all, as God revealed to him, he writes this. And therefore, there are a few verses in the scripture that is only appeared in Matthew Gospel. Like, for example, uh, I think Edmund already mentioned, no one can serve two masters. Is only appeared in the Matthew Gospel because he was pursuing that path in the sense. And then he also mentioned, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you. Or the verse that I quoted at the start, what would it, what gain do you have if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. See, he reflected in his writing because that was what his experience was and, and he was pursuing that direction as well. Os Guinness, uh, ancestry comes from the Guinness Stout uh, family, uh, wrote a book called God in the Dark, uh, The Assurance of Faith Beyond a Shadow of Doubt. And this is what he says, he's quite insightful. Os Guinness says this, he says, sometimes, he says, sometimes when I listen to people who say they have lost their faith, I am far less surprised than they expect. Why? If their view of God is what they say, then it is only surprising that they did not reject it much earlier. Other people have a concept of God so fundamentally false that it would be better for them to doubt than to remain devout. The more devout they are, the uglier their faith will become, since it is based on a lie. Doubt in such a case is not only highly understandable, it is even a mark of spiritual and intellectual sensitivity to error, for their picture is not of God, but an idol. I fear, I do fear, some Christian idea of a God is an idol, not God. Because if you really believe in this God of the Bible, Scripture, Jesus, you will know that that is the greatest treasure that you will ever have. Jesus is everything. He is sufficient for everything. And you must believe that if you really know this God of the Bible. So his joy is to follow Christ is to follow Christ. And that another joy he had is his joy was to get others to personally meet such a Savior. Not only he decided to follow Christ, but he was excited to introduce someone to this treasure that I've discovered. It is quite normal among Asian communities 
if you found a good restaurant, everybody will know. Hey, have you heard of this restaurant in St. Kilda called Kakilang? Kakilang in Hokkien means your own people. The name the restaurant means your own people. Oh, they have the best fried kwetiau and all that, you know. Why are we so enthusiastic about this kind of things and yet we are not passionate about saying, hey, have you, have you known, have you found my treasure yet? And maybe, maybe we ourselves are not convinced that he's our treasure. So his joy for Matthew, his joy was to get others to personally meet such a Savior. Therefore, look at what he did. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, he invited many tax collectors and sinners came and they ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus simply says this. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not a healthy who needs a doctor, but a sick. But go and learn what, is, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. Can you imagine... If you go and see your GP, you sit down after waiting for maybe one hour. Usually you have to wait for quite a while. And you read all the magazine and the gossip things and all that. And when you sit in, in front of your GP, you tell her, you know, you know what? I'm perfectly healthy. My eyes is okay. I can see everything. My lung is strong. I walk ten thousand steps a day. I'm I've no I've no sugar level problem. I've no cholesterol. My blood pressure is one twenty eighty. I'm I'm perfect. But then the doctor said, "Wait, let me examine you first. You may need to go for ECG. You need may need to see a a gastro this and that." And then you come back and discover that there are a lot of problems. Jesus said it is the, those who are sick that need a doctor. If, if only we are allowing Jesus to investigate us, then we will discover that we actually need a doctor. We actually need a doctor. And for Matthew, when he encountered Christ, he immediately followed Christ and not only that, he quickly gathered around him his own peers, his own colleagues, own f- colleagues that are in the, in the same boat to come and meet Jesus because he believes that what Christ has done for him can also do for the rest. Now, we do not know exactly how Matthew died. Tradition says that for 15 years, Matthew preached to the Jews, which is not surprising because he's the most Jewish of the gospel writers and aims at Jewish conversion. Now, interestingly, is this thought here. Matthew forsook Israel to get rich, but Jesus called him to forsook his riches 
To be a missionary to Israel, he went one circle, isn't it? He went one circle. He forsook Israel to want to be rich. And now Jesus is calling him to forsook the very thing that he pursued, that he attained, so as to return to be a missionary to Israel. Why not? Because he had already learned to be hated by the Jews anyway. For being a money-hungry collaborator with the Rome, so he had no problem in adjusting to be hated for being an apostle of Christ. After all, they still hate us for different reasons, that's all. He's used to it. He's used to rejection. He used to be mocked. All the hate and ridicule he faced in his old life prepared him to be a bold witness for Jesus. Tradition varies as to where and how Matthew died. Some said he died in Arabia. Some says in Ethiopia. Some say he died by the sword. But the Greek has a symbol of Matthew as fire. Uses it as a symbol of Matthew because they believe he died as a martyr by burning. All we know for sure is that this ex-tax collector became a profitable servant of Christ, teaching us two common lessons. One is teaching us never underestimate the potential of any worldly person for the kingdom of God. So whenever you see an ambitious, materialistic, money-hungry man, remember Matthew. And do not despise a person but pray and labor for his conversion. Like Matthew, he can become as zealous for the master as he formerly was for money. And I think second application that I want to leave you this morning is if you have children, grew up in the church, went to Sunday school, attends a youth group, and then when they go to university, the world of knowledge, the world of freedom, and all that influence them and they quickly stray away, left the Lord. Remember there's hope. Don't give up. Pray for them. Pray for them. It is not uncommon for children who grew up in Sunday school to abandon their faith. It's not uncommon. Especially if you are third generation Christians, they always say third generation is the, is, a cru- is the most crucial one. First generation, you're always a builder. Yeah? The three M. First is you start a movement. And then the second generation, the second M is maintenance. And then the third generation become a monument. Same. Wealth don't last three generations as well, isn't it? It's very hard to keep the flame burning, passing on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And here I close and ask that you keep fervent, pray for them. God in his own timing, as Ecclesiastes often say, I cling on to this verse, he makes all things beautiful when? In his time, in his time, pray pray and like Matthew they may return back to their roots so this is the story of Matthew Father we just want to thank you 
for this short reflection in the life of Matthew, who pursuing things that are only temporary because our body would, will weaken and our body will fade away. But our soul lives on. Lose anything but don't lose our soul. And the way that we do not lose our soul is commit our life to Jesus Christ. Always surrender our life to Him. Pursue Him. He is sufficient. He is enough. He is our greatest treasure. Help us not to allow things to clutter our vision and to rob us of this joy that we have in Jesus. Whether it is career, whether it is family, whether it is a relationship, whatever that may be, Lord, sharpen our vision. Help us look at the cross, focus on Jesus, and finish the race well. Finish the race strong. Whatever discouragement, disillusionment that people may encounter, we pray, dear Lord, today we return to you. Today we dedicate our life to you. Today we surrender to you. And when we do that, we faithfully follow you. We will have joy in following you. We have a joy in sharing this treasure that we have discovered. I pray that this treasure will once again rekindle in our hearts for those who have faded away, for those whose heart has grown cold, for those who are just going through motion. That, Lord, may our motion continue to create that emotion that generate our passion in you that will be reflected in our life. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this closing song, we are reminded again of this beautiful gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.